0: Bible says the message of the cross is foolishness, foolishness, foolishness,
1: foolishness, foolishness
0: Foolishness to those that are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God.
2: What's up you guys, this is Brian Sumner, we are on episode 30 of the Foolishness Podcast and today... I've been out on the road so much. I haven't gotten into the studio, which is literally my home, but we are jumping into Leviticus 24, focused on Jesus, the tabernacle, and blasphemy. Why does a man die in this passage? What does Leviticus mean giving us this picture of the tabernacle? So often as Christians, we overlook such things, but guys, they are so valuable. It's a prophetic blueprint given by Moses that I believe paint the picture directly of what jesus would come in the way he would live die and resurrect so jump in if you want to see the sinner with some image you can go to the youtube channel brian sumner and guys i'll see you after this message god bless
0: all right you guys let's pray god you are so good and how amazing the things we are here and that you are doing lord From where this church has come, God, I don't just mean in the last few years, but I mean from beginning of time as you began to speak in the book of Acts and through life and saving us and now using people. And I just pray that you quicken the response in people's hearts, that we seek joy in so many places, but God, it comes in you and through you. And it isn't about picking up this or serving ice cream or collecting that, Lord. It's about you. You were at work in your servants, and the preacher, the worship leader, the whosoever is no more important than anyone else, but God, we would just feel the moving of your spirit. We would see that souls matter, that shine the light matters, and God, would you be with us today? Let my words fall to the floor, and Lord, would you speak through your text? In Jesus' name, we pray and say, amen. Hi, you guys. How we doing? You guys have fun last week or what? Pastor Brock, who's hanging out in the back, give it up for Pastor Brock, amen. Jumped into Leviticus 23 with the seven Jewish feasts. He's like, Brian, I was so overwhelmed. I mean, this could have been like a seven-week series. It probably would have been if it was me in the pulpit. You're fortunate. Amen? But it was radical. You guys ended the service focused on worship, focused on lifting up Jesus. Why? Because though it's about these seven feasts, what is the Bible ultimately about? It's about Jesus. Jesus. If you're still waking up right now, it's about Jesus, I said. Amen. Amen. The Jewish feasts, and we know them. Passover, where He died. Unleavened bread, where He would rise again. Obviously, there's no sin in Him. He's the first fruits. Then we'd have Pentecost. And I believe we're in this church age. We're awaiting His return, and He'll fulfill trumpets or Rosh Hashanah, as it's known. Day of Atonement, which I covered a few weeks ago, and then landing on what? Tabernacles. And I say all of this to get you excited. Say, man, I, I missed last week because today you have your Bibles or your phones. Get them. I won't hold it against you. Amen. Leviticus 24. Need a Bible? Raise your hand. We'll get one to you. But as crazy as it was last week, here's what the heading in my Bible says about this week. It literally says, olive oil and bread set before the Lord. Our topic is what? Olive oil and bread set before the Lord. So all the women who love to cook said what? Amen. This is going to be an awesome service. But as we read this, what is important, guys? Leviticus isn't some ancient book covered in dust that great-great-grandma used to read. Leviticus is prophetic about Jesus. Leviticus is a blueprint. Jesus walked the road to Emmaus and he brought up Leviticus, I have no doubt. He pointed to Moses, who was a prophet, pointing to these very verses. So if you're new here today, or you're just jumping in these first few verses, you're going to say, what am I doing? And once he puts something on the screen, you're going to get right caught up. We're unpacking who Jesus is. We're searching the scriptures to hear him. And even verses like this should empower you. To cry out, to pray, to serve, to grab a hold of, to trust in the Lord. Leviticus 24.1, if you're there, say amen. amen. And the Lord said, God's direct word to Moses here. And the Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites to bring clear oil of pressed olives for the light so that the lamps may be kept burning continually. This is 2.5 million people to be crushing olives and bringing the oil says in verse 3, Outside the curtain that shields the ark of the covenant law, in the tent of meeting, Aaron is to tend the lamps before the Lord from evening till morning continually. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. And in verse 4, he says, The lamps of the pure gold lampstand before the Lord must be tended to continually. And already, if you're new, you're saying, Oh, this is one of those sermons. Lampstands and oil and what is this guy going on about? And many people read Leviticus And they say it's so meticulous. It's so tedious. Isn't this just all about housekeeping? Well, no, it's not. It's about Jesus. And if you don't believe me, I'll prove it to you. How many of you guys have been doing your homework the last few weeks? Anyone? Put that image on the screen. Can we put that up there? So if I point at you, I want you to stand up and say your name. Tell us your age and answer some questions about Leviticus. And no one in the church said, amen. 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 You You guys are all afraid now. You're looking at me. I'm looking at you. This, you guys, is radical. You know what this is? This is Jesus. This is God's blueprint for thousands of years before time to you. And if I would have read Leviticus, coming to faith, I'd have said, what is going on? This is a picture of the tabernacle. And God's an architect. God's a creator. I love that in Genesis, God could have revealed himself anyway. But he didn't even reveal himself as a savior. The first thing he said is what? What? In the beginning, God created. And all the artists said, amen. God designed this, created this. And how does this point to Jesus? Well, a couple of thoughts. Keep looking at this. Notice where we enter. We enter at the bottom through the what? The gate. We enter through the gate into what is known as the outer court. And what is the first thing we encounter? We encounter a place where we're to offer what? Sacrifices. To draw near to God, there must be a sacrifice. Hebrews 9.22 says, without The shedding of blood. There's no forgiveness of sin. You can't get any closer to God without the sacrifice. And so we see this. And next we see what's known as the bronze laven. You see the brass kind of setting right there that's ahead. You know what this is? The priest would offer a sacrifice. They would draw near to God. And they would wash their hands and their feet. And what do you think this is symbolic of? Baptism. We receive the Lord Jesus. And then what do we do? We get baptized. I mean, you haven't been baptized yet. There's only one person in the Bible I know of who wasn't baptized it's because he was nailed to the cross. Amen? The thief. But we come to faith and we receive this sacrifice and then we press in and we get baptized. And you say, well, what do you mean, Brian? Well, for thousands of years, God spoke. Then we arrive in the book of Acts. Don't go there for lack of time. But in Acts 2 and verse 38. Peter, who is afraid and timid, has actually fled and denied Jesus, now is filled with the Spirit of God. When the Spirit comes on Pentecost, the fourth feast, and filled with the Spirit, they shout up to the window to Peter. These men are are drunk. And he says, we're not drunk as you suppose, but we are what? Filled with the Spirit. This is what is spoken through the prophet Joel. And Peter begins to preach. And these Jewish men, speaking in 13 different languages of dialect. He said, "What must we do?" Because they were cut to heart. And Peter says, "What? Acts 2:38? What you need to do is repent and be baptized. What you need to do is enter into that image one, and there's a sacrifice, and then you need to be baptized. He says, "Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, "For forgiveness of sins," and he even says something crazy, and then you will receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit." We see this image and you say, is this really about Jesus? Well, yeah, we enter in, there's a sacrifice, there's a baptism, and next, where do we end up? Notice we go through the what? The door. What's on the left of the door? The golden what? You can help me preach, amen? I've had plenty of coffee and sugar, this is my second service, you can preach back to me. But as we enter in here, what do we see? A golden lampstand. This is, if you're familiar with it, this is the menorah. The seven candlesticks you find in the Jewish culture, so our sacrifice, our baptism, we enter through the door, and here we see this lampstand. This is the priest's responsibility, day and night. He'd better make sure there is oil 24-7. And for you and I, our day began with sunrise, but for the Jews, the day begins with sunset. This is the priest's job. The only light in the whole place is this golden lampstand, and why would God be bringing attention to this? Well, God is a God of typology, of imagery. They say if you lay out the Hebrew language, you can actually play the notes and it's a real tune. It has a sound to it. There's images, it speaks to us, but as you would see this and you said to me, Brian, where else do we see lampstands? Where would we say? In the book of what? Revelation. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John who walked with Jesus wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd, John, Revelation, and the gospel is given this picture. And he's literally walking with Jesus in the picture, and Jesus is speaking to him. And again, for lack of time, but follow me, is what we read in Revelation 1.12. John says, I turned around to see the voice, meaning Jesus was speaking. And as he looked around to see his Lord, it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, Jesus, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, with a golden sash around his chest, and the hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Pay attention to this, you guys, because when we pray, we picture carpenter Jesus. We picture Jesus beaten down, who came as a child, Talladega Knights, Will Ferrell, Jesus. That's not who I'm praying to, amen? I'm praying to this guy guy shows up in the room and everyone is gone. Remember that movie, Big Trouble in Little China? The light that comes out of the guy. I mean, this is, this is beyond that. Jesus is standing here. It says, The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as the snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were bronze, glowing in the furnace. And I love this. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. He just heard and was mesmerized. In his right hand, he held seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. We've entered in, we go through sacrifice, baptism. Here's a lampstand. Now in Revelation, we see Jesus. And what is he choosing to show us? He's walking in the midst of these lampstands. He's hanging out with the churches. Seven stars, a number of completion, meaning he's all-encompassing. What is this a picture of? Revelation 1.20. Are you guys following me? This mystery church of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Whenever you see the word angel, it means messenger. It can even be interpreted as pastor, meaning Jesus is literally walking amidst the lampstands. And he's holding the messengers in his hand and he's overseeing the churches. And as you continue reading on, you see he challenged some of the churches. He rebukes some of the churches. He calls some of them to repent. But the picture I want you to see is Jesus is walking in the midst. Jesus is what? Our high priest. So he entered into the gate. There's a sacrifice. There's a baptism. He shows up to the lampstand. And here is literally where the high priest would walk. And you say, well, Brian, are you suggesting this menorah is a hidden picture of the church? I would say so. I would say so because everything that Jesus says you read it in Matthew 5 and 14, you are the light of the world. Last time I checked, I'm not the light of the world, amen? But I am because of Jesus. Matthew 4 and 5 and 16, rather. Let your light so shine before others. Whose light do we shine? The light of Jesus. This menorah that we see. First John, we see it in 1 and 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with him, one another, because the blood of Jesus, his son, has purified us from all sin. I mean, even this lampstand, if we put on the second image, some of you still don't get what I'm saying, but consider this image that we're looking at. There's six either side, this is the number of man. And there's one in the center, that's that, that's Jesus, seven, the number of completion. We're called to what? Abide in Him, to hide in Him. He is the light of the world. This is what He's saying to us. And maybe some of you are awake by now. or well, you're visiting for the first time. And you're saying, man, you guys are jumping right into it. And we all said, Amen. Amen. But what is our church called? Branches. What is the verse founded upon? John 15, 5. Try and read that and consider this passage. Looking at that verse. He says, I am the vine. Do you see the centerpiece? You are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. This is not a gold object. This is literally a tree. It is a picture, and some would even say that image one was us returning to the Lord in the garden. It's a type. The way the angel protected us from entering back into Eden as we went into the mercy seat, we were allowed access to God again. And you say, Brian, are you really saying that this is all about Jesus? Well, of course. The Bible tells us this is all about Jesus. And even the fact that it tells us what? Three times continually that the oil needs to keep burning. The oil needs to be filled. What is oil oil symbolic of in the New Testament that we see in the Old? It's the Holy Spirit. Who is it who gives the oil? Well, it's God the Father. John the Baptist said what? I baptize, but one is come after that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it's better that I go away because if I don't go away, I can't send who? The helper, the Holy Spirit. So God is the creator of all. The Holy Spirit's always been. God has always been. Jesus has always been. But the people have to walk in fellowship with him. 2.5 million people crushing the olives, coming and bringing the oil daily in fellowship with what? The priest who is lighting the lights, walking in the presence of God. Do you not see Jesus as our intercessory? Jesus is who has led us by saving us, redeeming us through the Holy Spirit. He's who died on the cross, rose again, and he's the one standing before the Lord, petitioning us. This simple tabernacle thousands of years ago is a picture of who? Jesus. This isn't housekeeping. I mean, I love Leviticus 23, but this is as exciting, amen? I'm not just saying that because I'm up here. I've had about four or five hours sleep, but man, this is getting me excited. And you say, Brian, is this really all about Jesus? Aren't you one of those wannabe, hip, new pastors who bring all this stuff out that's so relevant and intelligent and significant? Well, Forget that. Let's just see this. If I was to bring up some of the things they say of Jesus, you try and fit this into somewhere in the Old Testament or in that image. we put image one on the screen again? Just to boast in God. Here's what we read about Jesus in the New Testament. It says of Jesus, Jesus is the door. Do we have a door? That was rhetorical. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the bread of life. And look at what it says on the left. Did you know this? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. When you enter into the bottom, it's called the way. When you enter into the middle and you begin to see God's plan, this is what's true of Him. And when you enter into the Holy of Holies, you now have what? Life because you're in the presence of God. Jesus is also the high priest. And we think, well, Brian, this is, of course, New Testament Christianity. No, it's not. You go back to the old and you would sit. With a rabbi or a Jew, and you would unpack this, and they would probably say, you're a blasphemer. They'd say, no one can fulfill these promises. There's no one that can do that. And here's why it's crazy. Because Jesus has invited us in. I could have just seen this work and said, God, you did it all. I'm good to go. Thank you. But he says, no, Brian, church, priests, because we are priests in his image now. Amen? I invite you to come and take of this oil. I invite you daily. Listen, God doesn't need me, but he wants me. He doesn't need you, but He wants you. It is all about the Lord, but God so loved the what? The world, and that's where you fit in. God created manna in, from heaven that fell in the wilderness. He doesn't need us, but He wants us to make the bread. God's the one who caught water to come out of rocks and stones. He doesn't need us, but He invites us to walk with Him. Why is this amazing? Because my word doesn't change anyone, but I'm the vessel through which God's word will come. My cross doesn't change anything, but as I carry that cross and point to Jesus, as you speak His word, as you carry your cross, as you are filled with the Spirit daily, what? Lives are going to be changed. Why? Because it's about Jesus and the cross, resurrection. i heard about so many skateboarders passing away lately, so many people that are in a way my generation, my culture. I'm like, Lord, we've got to reach these people. All of you have those skateboarders, whatever it is they do, the family, the friends, even enemies in your life that need to hear about who? Jesus. Because this whole picture is about God. And you say, well, isn't the Old Testament all about Israel? Jesus is hidden. So we put image one again. What do we do? We enter in. Here's the sacrifice. Here's the baptism. I'm being repetitive. Because if you're going to study Leviticus, we might not be back here for another 17 years. Amen? I don't know whether it's an amen or not, but this is a powerful book. This encourages my faith. And now we see he's dealt with the lampstand. And what do we see to the right? Put image two back up. This is what's known as the showbread. And you say, Brian, I might never have made sense of all these things. Why I want these images is you see the showbread over there? There's 12 pieces of bread. There's six on one side, six on the other. This is the way it was laid out. And this represents the 12 tribes of Israel. God is entering in. Here's the bride on one side of the church, and she'll be grafted into Israel. And the Bible talks about how what they would do is they would sprinkle frankincense on top of this bread... It's like a gummy residue like you would find in trees. And I guess you had a scent to it and different things. I really wouldn't want to eat it, but apparently it tastes good. They say it tastes like pine oil mixed with lemon, which I don't know how that tastes good possibly. But why this is crazy, and I'm trying to summarize this, is it literally begins with you entering, sacrifice, baptism, God's picture, the light of the world. Here's Israel. And you know what, guys? Not just that but I'm actually going to provide for the priests, for God's people, through this bread. They got to eat of the bread. And the older I get and the more I hear that almost 1,200 pastors a week leave their ministry. Is it infidelity? Is it burnout? Is it sin? Is it frustration? Is it whatever? The older I get and as younger generation as I see sitting in here serving the Lord, I'm convinced the call to ministry is a full-time call. Amen? First Corinthians 9.14 says that God commands those who do the work of the gospel, make the living. And what God is showing here is that these men, day and night, were available. They were eager to serve. They were eager to love community. They weren't putting on more and more burdens. And why do I say this? Because if this isn't amazing enough, and guys, look, I've never seen this next part. Put image one up again. I want you to find what's called the altar of incense. You see the altar of incense? We're making our way up. You've just seen the, the lampstands and the... What's next here? The showbread. And you see that altar of incense? You know what you offer there? Free will offerings. You need a sacrifice. And you need baptism. And you need to be either the church or Israel. You're all grafted in. But you don't have to really offer these free will offerings. What these offerings mean is you came to church today and you might have actually worshiped God. Or you might not. You might really be reading right now. Or you might not. You might go home and really want to serve the Lord. Or you might not. And I've got to think, if I could be there in person, see this picture, walk in there, see that dead animal, see the baptism, see all these things, that by the time I got to this altar of incense, what do you think I would want to do? Worship the Lord. If not, heaven isn't going to be that much fun. I want to go there. Amen? The whole saying, some people just want Jesus to escape hell, but that's not what heaven's about. Heaven's about the Lord. And you say, Brian, are you saying prayer and worship is of such significance? Yeah. The goal was never to get Israel to the promised land. The goal was to get them into the wilderness so they may what? Worship me. You could stand at this altar. You can worship the Lord. And here's why this is radical. Psalm 144, 1 and 2. Listen to what it says. May my prayer be set before you, Lord, like incense. And may the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Simply by praying, turning, trusting in Him, God is getting glory. People will come down sometimes when I'm traveling and say, hey, can I pray? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm saying just the fact that you made the effort to go ask someone to pray for you, meaning your head is set toward the Lord, meaning there's humility in your heart, meaning you know there's someone greater than you, and this blesses the Lord. Even in Revelation 8:4, 4 it says the smoke of the incense that would be offered here. This is you and me praying in our bedroom, praying in the church, singing all crazy in the car. I've seen some of you guys. Amen. You better not be listening to that crazy gangster rap, amen? Roll that window down, I'm kidding. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before the Lord from the angel's hand. Why is this crazy? I really believe this and I believe the Lord laid this on my heart. How many of you guys feel like when you're praying you're bothering God? Sometimes I feel like that. I feel like I'm always going to you with issues, I'm always going with struggles. Well, you know what? I'm not God. I need to go to God. Amen? Some of you are trying to be so perfect to approach God. Get over yourself. You're not going to be perfect. We're not going to make it. The Bible says we know in part. But so many times we go to God and we want to do it all right. Like when I came to faith, I remember being on my knees and saying, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he knew I was talking to him. Amen? I remember saying Yahweh or however you say it. So God's like, okay, bro, get the name right. That's not it. Here's why I say this. Because there isn't a day in my life when a text or message comes through from my children I'm not excited. There isn't a moment my children ask me something, and especially silly questions at this age, amen, where I'm not excited to get to be dad to them. Something crazy happened in our life this past week where my my mother-in-law was basically brutally attacked. I mean, you could say that. What happened was she was in the backyard, and she has a bad leg, and here comes a Japanese beetle. And I don't know why they're called Japanese beetles, because that thing did not fly from Japan. I mean, have you ever seen these things fly? I don't even think they could be called Catalina beetles. I mean, how does it even make it out of the backyard? But hair, and don't tell her I'm telling this story, amen. Hey, man, she'll kick my rear end. I'm fine with that, Grandma. But as she's standing there with her bad leg, and you know, this thing's coming down with like fangs out and two tommy guns, she goes to step over the threshold, twists her ankle, breaks her leg, Phibia falls on the floor and she's been in hospital. I'm saying that to say, be praying for grandma, amen? But here's the reality. While my kids are with her all week, they're messaging me nonstop. But I know it's because hospital food's bad or, you know, Jude's bouncing off the walls. He's crazy. But every text that came through from them, I want to stop what I'm doing. Even when I'm prepping, even when I'm in time with the Lord, Lord, and I'm thinking, maybe I need to do something for my family. God is first, but I'm saying that to say some of you feel like you're trying to get your life so together or do the right things. That is not Christianity. I'm not saying live in habitual sin, but when I get into this place, if God hasn't accepted me because of all these things, it wasn't me anyway. All I did was show up. Thanks for the sacrifice. Now I'm getting baptized. Look at what you did. Enter in and give these offerings. Why? Because in the midst of all this, we see God at work. And here's why it's insane. Suddenly God is saying, check out the tabernacle and out of nowhere something shows up. Anyone knows what happens in verse 10? A fight breaks out. Fights always break things up, amen? Fights even break up God. God is literally telling us, here's how I want the sanctuary to look. And listen to verse 10. It says that the son of an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father, meaning there was a mixed home, they went out among the Israelites and a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. And the son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name of the Lord, you would say, with a kiss. And so they brought him to Moses. And his mother's name was Shalometh, the daughter of Debri, the Danite. And I'm guessing this is because if you're a big Ancestry.com person and you find out you're related, don't tell anyone this story. Amen? But the reality is, there they are talking about the most relevant thing, the work of God, and suddenly a fight breaks out. This young man is an... Son of an Egyptian, and his mother's an Israelite. There's a mixed family. They've been in Egyptian bondage for 400 years. Is this guy mad because he wants to be with dad? We don't know where dad is. We don't know where mom is. They could both be there. They could not. But whatever we look at, this is a mixed family. This is an unbeliever and a believer. This is unequally yoked. I'm not saying if you're in a marriage or someone doesn't believe, flee. No, we're believing with you for God to save everyone in that household. Amen? Amen. But what this means is here's this guy while dad is worshipping thousands of gods. And here's mom who's worshipping who? The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. To the young people, to those who are still looking for another stage of marriage, the Bible says don't be unequally yoked. It says a house divided won't stand because I see the next generation. We have everything on our fingertips. I can wear black if I want Vans, if I want Aquafina, if I want donuts or not. And then there you are and you say, well, that person's pretty. That person's handsome. That person's together. That person's resume is like this. And we go and qualify why we want to marry this person. On what grounds? If I was 15, 16 today, I wish someone would stop me and say, you know what, Brian? Entering into marriage, the number one thing you want is for that person to love who? Jesus. The Bible talks about it. What fellowship does light have with darkness? If you were an unbeliever looking at someone, I know there's beautiful things and even attributes of God that are displayed in their life. But as I get older, I want to become more like Christ so my wife is more blessed. Amen? I know all my issues. Most of you do too as well. Amen? I want my wife to get hungry for the things of God. I remember going to where, what is it, Seacliff. And my kids are really afraid of homeless people for some reason. And they run over to me like, Dad, Dad, there's a homeless person. He's with Mom. And I was like, what's, what's going on, you know? And she took the guy in there to buy him food, buy him pizza. And I was like, and to me, that's the most attractive thing. Her body's going to sag. My teeth are going to come out. The hair's going to go away. I mean, if she can't love me at 80, I married the wrong woman. Amen? One spouse is the object of beauty. But I'm saying that to say these people, slight diversion, but some of you need to hear this. Amen? They were unequally yoked. It's bedtime. What are we reading? Well, I want to read the Bible. we got to pray for Grandma Jo. Well, we don't want to pray in this house. What kind of school are we going to go to? Where is the conflict? What's going to happen? This is so important, I wish. Because even for my wife, Italian-Mexican, with this Catholic idea background, me as an unbeliever, we're Charlie Darwin's on our money in England, we had no clue, and it was so reckless. And thank you, God, for all the grace and mercy that we still need to this day. Amen? Amen? I know what some of you guys go through. I understand what it's like to live with me, to live with you. I get it. But the idea here is that even for those who aren't married, you can still live with people and equally yoked in the world. The Bible talks about a dog returning to a vomit. I've been at many churches where half the issues are because people want their friends from the world to be so a part of their life where they're basically returning to Egypt. That famous statement that pastors make is that God delivered Israel out of Egypt, but it's another thing altogether to deliver Egypt out of Israel. You've read your Bible. You see where in a couple of verses later, a couple of chapters, a whole bunch of Israelites die in the wilderness and they never entered the promised land. Do you know Why? Because these people that were Egyptian and Israelite were blaspheming God, living opposed to God. And they actually are called the mixed multitude. The influence, what's negative. We want as much as the whale as we can and we come so much like the whale that we now have what? Nothing to offer it. You think we're going to win them by looking the same and doing the same things. And we should enjoy so many things. But I love that statement, what you win them through is what you win them to. It's the gospel. It's the tabernacle. It's what Jesus did. It's his convicting, his loving, his fathership grabbing a hold of you and saying, and here's why it's amazing. I love this verse in verse 12. Some of you are going to feel so liberated. It says, They took this blasphemer into custody until the will of the Lord should be what? Made clear to them. Moses is a prophet. He is hanging out with God and he still doesn't have a clue. He doesn't even know what to do sometimes. Amen? 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 As a husband, as a father, I mean, I got a wife who's at home, homeschooling. I got an 18-year-old. I got two kids. and It's really great that they're home, but they're at home. It's really crazy when they're home. Amen? Pray for me. But the idea is, I want you to see this. Moses took things to the Lord. I've lived for 40 years. I've got experience. I've got opinions. And you go, Brian, well, you're so opinion. I say, well, so are you. We have our opinions, our business mindset, our accolades, our achievements, the way we do it. You know what? You need to be able to push that aside and say, sometimes my ideas and opinions can get in the way of what God wants to do. Sometimes as much as I love you, care for your marriage, care for your family, want to work it out with you, God doesn't need me to carry that burden. He needs me to go to him and pray for you. Moses withdrew, and he did this three or four times. and I just, I'm even reminded then. Jesus daily awoke daily to pursue God, but he withdrew overnight. I mean, even Jesus withdrew to spend time with the Lord. How many of our problems would be changed if rather than going to the phone, we went to the what, Richard Mulder? The throne. <laughs> we went to the throne. An old cheesy saying, but it's true. We want to go fix everything ourselves? No, they withdrew. And sometimes we say, well, God, how do I know the will for my life? Well, the gospel is the will for your life. You're living here on mission. But God says radical things like this. He says to us in the Old Testament, His will is upon the tablet of your heart. He says He will give wisdom to you generously as you ask. He says the door will be opened if you knock, but here's my problem, maybe yours. I'm going to ask God all kinds of prayers until He answers them the way I want. And if he doesn't want to answer him, I'm going to go ask an elder or a pastor or a friend. And I'm going to get all the advice I can get. And when they give me the best advice, I go, oh, that sounds just like the Lord. I want to wear black today. I want to drink this today. I want to sit where you want to sit. I'm going to do all these things. What we need to do is get out the way of the Lord and let the Lord speak. If I was praying today and God said, Brian, I have this great call for your life. Yes, Lord, what is it? I want you to move to Alabama. Think I'm going to tell anyone? I'm joking. I got plenty of friends out. Of it. I think if my wife's praying right now and God says move back to Liverpool, she is not telling anyone. Amen. And we want to pursue the Lord. I'm saying that to say, are we willing to do whatever the Lord has called us to do? Because even sitting with my son who's 18, sometimes it's correcting, sometimes it's encouraging. But you know, all I've realized, I know what to tell him. But here's the mistakes I made. Don't make the same. Please don't do this. Please go and do that. But you know what? All I can really tell him is read your Bible. And seek the Lord. I don't know where you should go to school. I don't know where you should live. You're God's first. You're not mine. I'm entrusted. But you know what? That's just wisdom that Moses could have said. Guys, I'm God's man. Here's the deal. And He didn't. And I know our elders do this. Our pastors do this. The leaders of the children's ministry. We should be doing it. Withdrawing and why? Well, here's why it gets crazy. Verse 13, what does it say? Are you guys with me? It says, And the Lord said to Moses, God, what are we going to do about this blasphemer? Here's God's idea. Take the blasphemer outside the camp. Okay, sounds pretty good. And all those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head. And the entire assembly is to stone him. Everyone who even heard. If I begin to blaspheme God today, talk God down about God today, it's going to have an effect on you. Your children will say, well, I'm not going to pray to that God. I'm not going to seek that God. As our songs, our media, and culture lessons who God's is. That God doesn't sound so bold. No, I want those who heard it to be in attendance to they see that God is literally gonna wipe this guy out, and this is gonna pull some strings right now. He says in verse 15: say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes and you're saying, Whoa, this is what you Christians are preaching in church, this is crazy. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The Isaiah assembly must stone them. Whether foreigner, native born, when they blaspheme the name of the Lord, they are to be put to death. I don't have an image to do with this, amen? But the reality is here's Moses telling us something radical, and here shows up this blasphemer. It's not a coincidence. He's giving us the height of God's plan for life that you can freely enter in and begin to worship. And here shows this blasphemer. And what is blasphemy? Cursing the Lord, damning the Lord, rebuking the Lord in opposition of the Lord. What is this guy in the midst of a fight and he's swearing and adrenaline and he's shouting out things? and did he look up and say, you know what, God? Blah, 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 blah. What did the guy do? Well, what did Jesus say in the New Testament? When you look with someone with what? Hatred, you are committing murder. So if you apply this here, this man is literally killing the character of God. God has just given us this beautiful standard by which I'm saved, you're saved, we're saved. And as this happens, this man is now murdering God. The reality in this as far as reputation is if you were a Jew back in the day, do you know how radical this would be? Do you know when the Jews read the text when they got to God's name? Do you know what they said? Nothing. Elohim, Adonai, various titles for God. But you get to the name of God, which is a full-on word, and we don't even know His name to this day. They took out the vowels; It's a tetragrammaton, Yahweh or Yahovah. We don't know what it says. And you'd be reading in the synagogue, and you would get there, and they would be quiet, or they would say, Hashem, the name. Have listened listened to Marish Yahu, He sings all about Hashem. You guys know that guy? Matthew Miller from New York. Sings all about him, but he is a Jew, will never say the name of God because they realize I don't even want such power on my tongue. Yet we live in a nation that what? Blasphemes God. I've never heard Muhammad blasphemed. I've never heard Buddha blasphemed, but God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit blasphemed in everything. And it's lowering the voice of God. But here's the reality this guy spoke out about God, and yes, it's believed he maybe even killed this man. But what if you were downtown witnessing with me? What if a couple of people showed up and they began to throw our Bibles or throw away some of the candy they give and they started fighting and they're punching me in the head and we're rolling around on the ground and they start swearing at me and blaspheming God. We're all done. And we sit on the benches and we're like, man, what should we do? And what if we pray? Do you think that while we're praying, God is going to say, here's what I want you to do. Sneak up to them in the parking lot with a bunch of rocks and kill them. Yes or no? No. No. We wouldn't do that. And this is why God says of Moses, you're to seek me. Because what we would say is, well, he's half Egyptian. No offense if you're Egyptian, he happens to be Egyptian. He's half from Liverpool, he's a scouser. We could say anything. He's always in trouble. It's a mixed family. He's in trouble with the police. He's this, he's this, he's this. And that's why the Bible says of God, his ways are not your ways. And what? His thoughts are not your thoughts. You see, God has to set a standard. He's given us the greatest offering of the gospel they've seen. And here is this guy blaspheming, tearing down God. And you say, well, Brian, really death? People are really going to die for blasphemy? Well, let me tell you this that should wake you up. Everyone you know who doesn't know Jesus is going to die because of blasphemy. Everyone who stands before God at the great white throne judgment where you don't want to be. You want to be at the Bema Seat of Christ? They will be condemned because of blasphemy. They will literally be condemned. The Bible says there's only one sin that is unforgivable, unpardonable. What is it? Blasphemy of who? Holy Spirit. I'll read it for you. It says this in Matthew 12:31, Jesus, branches, I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. And the next verse, he says, even in this age or the age to come. See, no one sells their soul to Satan. This isn't some Hollywood Illuminati idea. Where one, I mean, what are you selling your soul from? You're not born saved. You're born dead in sin. The gospel is a rescue mission. We're dead in sin, born blasphemers, and Jesus comes in and rescues us. Jesus encounters us. He redeems us from this idea. And here's why this should wake you up. Every person you see in your neighborhood, in your family, in your school, who you do business with, all the benefits of life, they're dead in sin. You've heard me say it before, that movie, The Sixth Sense, remember it? I see dead people. Every person you look at is dead. Every person is opposed to God. John 3.18 says we're already condemned. And you say, Brian, are you preaching this in church? Yeah, we better get back to preaching this stuff in church. Amen is isn't about the size of the congregation. It's about souls and Jesus winning them. That's why we have a tabernacle. People don't even know how to repent. They don't know what state they're in. you say, Brian, why are you saying this? Because the reality is, we all know people who are dead in sin. We all know people who need the Lord. Why can I say this? Because I know you guys love Jesus. Why can I say this with the voice of an evangelist? Because I know you guys are going to go live into this. And you're going to hear it. Everyone you look at that's dead in sin one day... They'll be killed by rocks in a sense when they stand before God and they're guilty. But what do I say of branches? Not on our watch. 24 years not knowing the Lord. Brian's out there. You're out there. You're dead in sin. We need to get back to what is important. Why? Because church statistics say that most churches, people within the ages of, well, the months of six to two years, rotate around churches. That means if I spent the next two weeks going to 15 churches in the area, I would see many people who had been out of the churches. Now what's popular in culture is that we have the most relevant church or the right Bibles in church or the most significant doctrine in church. You go to that church with blah, blah, blah preachers or this guy does this, this guy does that. Let's get back to souls. This is a rescue mission. What good is a big church if it's just passing Christians through the door? And here's the crazy thing about fish. You want to know what's crazy about fish? You can't catch fish if there's no fish. You can't catch fish if you don't go to the fish. Amen? If I was to give an altar call right now in the middle of this church, how many people do we have around us that maybe don't know Jesus? We need to invite them. We need to invite them. We need to share with them. We need to, they say the number one time of evangelism, you know what it is? It's when you take the neighbor out to eat after you've invited him to church, and you get to share the gospel with them. I say that because I was depressed, suicidal, divorced, hating my life, and it was the gospel that redeemed it. I know you love the people in your life. I know you care for them. And sometimes we need these messages to say, wow. And you say, well, Brian, where is Jesus in this message? Do you want to see Jesus in this message? We're talking about a man here who's a blasphemer, amen? Israelite mother raised in Egypt. Jesus had an Israelite mother, huh? And where did he spend some time? In Egypt. And what did this guy die of? Blasphemy. You know why Jesus died? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. This guy died because he blasphemed, but Jesus died because I blasphemed. This guy died because he resisted God, but Jesus died because you resisted God. Where am I in this story? You have entered these gates because of Jesus. The whole world is born into this world, dead in sin, blaspheming God. And Jesus has said, not on my watch. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. This guy died a blasphemer, and Jesus never blasphemed anyone. But they crucified him for my blasphemy. The Bible says all who call on the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. Will this guy call on the name of the Lord, but not to be saved, to blaspheme. There's people in your lives who get to call on the name of the Lord. I'm guessing after this, you know what? That there wasn't too many fights after this. I'm guessing people didn't maybe blaspheme for some time. I'm guessing that for some time there wasn't any rowdiness. And it changes gears again, verse 17. Anyone who takes the life of a human being shall be put to death. Anyone who takes the life of someone's animal must make restitution, life for life. Anyone who injures the neighbor is to be injured in the same manner, fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And the one who inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. Whoever kills an animal must make restitution, but whoever kills a human being is to be what? Put to death. What he's saying is that honoring God above everything is most significant. And so blaspheming is literally worse than killing another. And this whole idea is a standard of justice. You see, for you and I, if someone took out my eye, I want to take out both their eyes. Someone broke my tooth, I want to take out their teeth. What this is, is a standard known as lex talionis. It means the punishment fits the crime. Because here's what we do as Christians. We justify what's happened to us. I'm angry because of my marriage. I'm angry because of my kids. I'm angry because of my boss. I flirt with this person because my spouse doesn't give me attention. In fact, I'm having emotional affairs on Lyre. In fact, I'm almost in bed with someone because of all these reasons. But that isn't what God says. God sets a standard here that says, you know what? And someone injures you, it's fair. It's justice. Even in Genesis 4 and 21-22, we hear this story. And it's of a man called Lamech. And he says, if Cain is avenged seven times, I'll be avenged 70 times seven. Meaning, oh, you came about my family, I'm killing everyone. You came about my business, I'm wiping you out. What is the number one way to make money in America? Anyone know? Sue someone. Don't you crash your car into me, because a year later, I want everything you have. Someone literally reversed out of their garage into our car. I think it was my mother-in-law's car. And I went over there like, hey, I don't care. I'm a pastor. Just help us fix it. And the person was so freaked out, they couldn't even deal with it. And their father-in-law called me a few weeks later. And I was praying, Lord, help me sell this car. I want this much for it, whatever else. And he says, listen, this is crazy. But my daughter-in-law is so freaked out, she crashed on the freeway. And the person had waited a year gone to the doctor numerous times to build a case, and then came and sued her a year later for crazy amounts of money. They go, oh, take the car. Good, good, to go. But this is crazy. God puts this in place, and for you and I as a Christian, what do we do? We don't make excuses to justify our behavior, because you know what Jesus says? If they want your cloak, take it. Want to take you to court, let them take you. If they want this, take it. You see, when we let go of the excuses and we lay it down, what are we doing? We're honoring him over and over. If anyone wants to sue you, let him take your shit. Hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go a mile, what does he say? Go two miles. You see, there's no excuses now that I've entered in and I have the Holy Spirit. The Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit. are the sons of God. Judas walked with Jesus every day. had the greatest sermons, probably the best worship. Seen the king of kings, the lord of lords, the greatest teacher. Yet he still chose to die a blasphemer. For you and I, we have to ask the question, where do we sit before the Lord? Because many still choose to blaspheme, to hate, to steal, to be bitter, to be wound up, to be distracted by the things of this world. In verse 22, and we'll close with these thoughts, then pray. He says, you have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord, your God. Many times people say, you know, I just don't know if Christianity is for me. I don't know if walking with Jesus is the right thing. And you know what I say? He's the Lord, your God. But if Christianity's right, it's that heaven is real, hell is real. It's the God soul of the world. It's that we're in one or two places. You say, Brian, you're so serious. Guys, don't you think this is a serious issue? Don't you think salvation is a serious issue? That God had to put the only one who was never meant to go to a cross on a cross? I say it so often, but you know what that is to so many people? It's a piece of furniture or a tattoo or a necklace. Your Savior died on a cross like that 2,000 years ago so we could be redeemed. And he says, I'm the Lord your God. He took the blasphemer outside the camp and the nation stoned him. And the Israelites did as the Lord commanded Moses. Let's just gather together on this. How would you end a message like this? Huh? Let's get real. Charles Spurgeon never gave altar calls. He preached the truth. Let the truth speak to the heart because the Holy Spirit convicts. And I'm thinking about three thoughts as we close up. I'm thinking, do you know God? Did you walk in here thinking about things later today and they are blessings from the Lord. Even the breath that you have is a gift from God just so you know. All your time, talent, treasures all the things you can do are only because God is sustaining you. You didn't create this body. He did this. Did you walk in here today and you say, Man, I know I've blasphemed the Lord. I know I've opposed the Lord. I need to get right with God. I'm not going to do an altar call, but today, sitting here in a moment, you need to get right with God. Cry out to Him. He shed His blood for you. He speaks to you today. He's alive and well interceding. And that's the gospel. That as we repent and tend to Him, He saves and forgives Secondly, you could be a Christian. You say, you know what, Lord? I don't live this life of repentance. I'm distracted in me. I'm distracted in my goals. I always say it speaks to me. The greatest hindrance to God's kingdom is my kingdom. I'm caught up in wealthiness and distraction. There's no compassion for people anymore. I don't think to lift up the voice of the Lord. I couldn't care less. We need to hear messages like this again about compassion. Maybe you're here and you just say, man, I'm just so thankful for the things of God. You know what? And I want to worship in this time. I've entered into His presence and there I am in this place of offering. I want to be them that pray and lift up His hand. All I want to do is enter a time of prayer where I'll pray. And then I'll get out the way and they're going to worship the Lord. But there's altars around this room. Ask the person next to you. Speak to God yourself. If you want to cry out, let's go there. If you need prayer, we'll be there. We can lead you in a prayer. You need to confess things. If you're just going through crazy stuff, you say, you know what? I just need prayer. Many people got prayer in the first service. We just bow our heads and honor the Lord. God, I thank you for this time, God, this moment. Whatever date it is here in Huntington Beach, California, you are faithful and you have been speaking since time past. God, I pray that your people would get that you love them. God, if my kids were in the road, if someone was sick, If there's something I could do, God, I'd be so eager to do it. If that doesn't come close to your reaching your hands into our service today, into our hearts today, and beginning to speak to us. Exodus tells us, let my people go, that they may worship me. And God, as we begin to worship you in a moment, I pray that people will be set free. I pray that people who know I'm in rebellion against God, they'd repent. They'd turn. They'd see your love, your grace, and mercy, God. For those of us who might feel stagnant saying, you know... I don't even know if I'm living life for you. I'm chasing this best life idea. That's what Satan offered Jesus in Matthew 4. I want to be a servant. I want to walk with you. I want to thrive in the things of God. I want to have compassion for my neighbors, for those who are going through divorce, for those who've had heinous things happen to them as children, for those who have no hope, God, we are vessels of the Most High. We're the chosen generation. We're the royal priesthood. We're those set apart. God, I pray that branches, that this church will become the burning bush you've made it to be. That God, as we worship, we would enter into your presence because we have access and we begin to hold fast to it. Jesus, you're a high priest. You intercede for us. And I pray in a time of response, those who might be broken, torn down, bruised, will get prayer. Those who need to cry out would do so. But Lord, more importantly, you made a way for us through the wilderness into your presence so we could pursue you. And, Lord, we're going to choose to do so right now. Church, let's sit with the Lord and lift him up.
3: Amen. Vou step into that place of surrender as we sing these words as we lift our hands as we worship God let's sing this together so I'll stand with arms high What could I say? What could I God, your soul. This life brings suffering, Lord. I will remember what Calvary has bought for me, both now and forever. Sing that one more time. Should this life veut
0: so thankful for for you for amazing worshipers amen a man who sounds like me when he sings I need some real worship around me amen only God likes my voice guys can we just extend our hands for a moment and just consider God that we wouldn't take this message and say oh this sounds like self-righteousness or being overly bold but God we would see this is the gospel God, people are trusting in the world. They're trusting in ways that are leading away from you, God. They're already condemned. You've given us your word. And, Lord, you have brilliant and beautiful and amazing and talented people in this room. Even aside from that, God, they have the Spirit of God in them. Lord, would you lead them in their gentleness, in their boldness, in their motherhood, in their being a spouse, in their being a son, a daughter, a father, mother, grandmother, lead them in all of our messy ways God as we reach for this and grab for that as your children but Lord I just pray we see more of you I pray we offer more of our life set apart to make space for you with us a void, God in our life you are the one that needs to fill it and God I pray for life for abundance and by that I mean the gospel I pray for redemption I pray that if anything we get done to this and God says, look at you branches who lifted me up and you went out into the highways and byways and in word indeed spoke of me. Lord, would you be with your people? Would you speak to us through your word? Convict with the Holy Spirit. Lead us into the fruit that you've blessed us with. But God, we just pray for an abundance of you. Thank you, Lord. We speak forth life in the name of Jesus. We pray and say, amen. God bless you guys.
2: You guys, I hope this message encouraged you, seeing how Jesus is the blueprint throughout scripture. Hopefully, by now you've heard enough that he's the Lord and Savior of the world, as far as those who turn to him, repent put their faith in him. This is Brian Sumner saying, I am out. And remember, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. Guys, please share these podcasts over to briansumner.net been going around the u.s and the world as of late i look to meet with some of you guys go over to the youtube channel brian serna and connect and pray for the ministry i'm doing i'm praying for all of our heroes god bless you guys amen